Welcome to Season 4 of American Political History, 1667, Barclay's View. Barclay had served as governor for decades, taking Virginia from starving backwater plantation being ravaged by natives to a success story where people were becoming rich after a generation of work. Barclay had overseen the growth of Virginia from less than 8,000 to over 30,000 people, kept Virginia in the king's good graces during the Civil War by remaining loyal. He had balanced native alliances for the protection of Virginia, losing almost no Englishmen in the Third Powhatan War, which had mostly been fought between hostile and allied natives. He had responded to complaints about Virginian encroachment on those friend Indians by setting aside lands for their use only, while at the same time demanding Indians enter Virginia by permit only and not stay more than half a day. He would have no surprise attacks again on his watch. But as peace reigned in Virginia, the discontented small farmers and the newly immigrated gentry demanded a laxation of the laws on these reservations. In 1651, Gloucester County was established in the once Indian Reservation. In 1652, Lancaster, 53 Westmoreland, and Northumberland. Barclay attempted to draw clear borders between the English and native populations. But the planters on the frontiers pushed into these legally designated Indian areas. It was difficult to monitor the true border because before settlement, most of these lands were not truly surveyed into organized and well-defined land units. The trouble started when Matthew failed to pay his Doeg Indian labor. The Doegs returned to his plantation and stole pigs from a farm as restitution for their disputed payments. The locals gathered a posse and made chase of these would-be thieves. When they tracked them down, they inflicted humiliating beatings, but otherwise let them go. As happens in border regions, with hot heads and ill tempers, they escalate everything. The Doeg, their honor at stake, returned and beat one of Matthew's servants. In their savagery, they killed him. The frontiersmen were now stirred up into a frenzy. The local Virginians attacked the nearby Doeg camps. One group of militia opened fire on the Doeg cabin, but the other militia, by mistake, and mistakes often happen with rash actions on the frontier, away from the betters here in Jamestown, shot up a Susquehannock camp instead. The Susquehannock had been allies of Virginia for over 50 years, and had been invited to live in Maryland as a buffer between the English and the Iroquois Nation of Five. This rash attack by Virginian militia was met with a measured response, a retaliatory attack by the Susquehannocks that killed two Virginians. Someone of better temperament could have understood that a retaliation of two for ten deaths was leaving the door open for de-escalations, but the temperament of the young men on the frontier was too passionate. They would meet this retaliation with an escalation of violence. Those boys on the frontier didn't understand that wars that happened under his leadership had mostly been fought between neighbor Indians and hostile Indians, meaning however the wars went on the frontier, Virginia would increase in relative power in the region because it was not them spending vast resources on wars. Others were paying those costs. This was the model of politics used by some of the most successful countries in Europe. But Barclay had been finding governing Virginia more and more difficult, 
tobacco required dispersed settlements on large acres of land. The growing populations had been spread into counties outside of the direct control and oversight of the leadership in Jamestown. Economic opportunities for ex-servants had been decreasing. Fewer and fewer indentured servants ended up owning their own lands and having their own servants. With such economic woes, they could almost never find a wife and create a family that they sought. This would turn men angry and resentful of life, a dangerous state of mind for any population. Barclay always recognized that the true risk to the colony was within the angry population, not the natives, sending correspondence back to England stating, We are a people pressed at our backs by Indians, but pressed at our bowels by our servants. And he would state again, How miserable are a people where six parts of seven are poor, indented and miserable, discontented and armed. Barclay was not eager for another Indian war that would require him to arm and further tax this restless population. When the steady streams of reports of Indian attacks in Samford and Henrico County kept coming in, Barclay realized politically he needed to order some type of response. But he had a headwind against local county leaders who had their own interests in having a war that would hasten the departure of the Indians from the lands. An example of this was John Washington, who had purchased land across the river from an Indian encampment. He had also purchased speculative land grants for the land that the Indians encamped on, if they departed. Barclay dispatched Sir Henry Chichely to lead the militia from Jamestown. His orders were to find and meet with the Doeg and Susquehannock sachems, although it was unlikely they would make contact with the Indians unless the Indians wished it, Positioning the militia out there would discourage raids in the area and lessen the political pressure of the situation, hopefully staving off the demands for war. In the morning, though, Governor Barclay changed his mind, deciding to keep his militia in Jamestown because he feared rumors of the King James War spreading south into Virginia. He had heard that the New England Indians had sent emissaries all the way down to the Indians near them in Virginia and Maryland. Barclay feared that the friendly Indians within the Virginia plantations could be inspired by the example of King James and his war in New England, turning on them. But he communicated none of this publicly, expecting the population to follow, as was their place. After all, he was an experienced royal governor that had successfully navigated Virginia through many crises in the past few decades. This was a political miscalculation. By leaving no public plans about frontier protection, it created a political vacuum of the unknown, where gossip swelled the accounts of Indian attacks on the frontier and their doom. A few attacks became daily attacks, the deaths of a few dozen turned into hundreds. And then the public heard the quite real news of the King James War for themselves, a war where a united native force was inflicting real, colony-wide damage on the united colonies, pushing their frontier back hundreds of miles into the coastal areas. Fears in Virginia swelled. Those that had lived in Virginia for more than a generation had heard from their parents all about the devastating surprise opening in the First Anglo-Powhatan War, an opening attack that killed more than 25% of the population in one morning. That psychic scar was not easily forgotten by the population of Virginia. Barclay learned from the United Colonies' miscalculations in the beginning of their war, he didn't demand that the neighbor Indians turn over their weapons. He simply seized their powder supplies by surprise and force, disarming many of the friendly Indian nations surrounding Virginia before they could decide if they wanted to turn hostile. 
In March, the Jamestown Assembly met, declaring war on all Indians that attacked, murdered, raped, and plundered Virginians. Barclay asked, and was supported by the Assembly, to build a series of forts at the heads of the rivers on the frontier, garrison them with horsemen patrolling between those forts and foot soldiers to defend nearby farms if needed, or to pursue the enemy that encroached into Virginian territory. But he set a legal requirement, because given the temperament of the men on the frontier and what they had already shown in wisdom, that any offensive move from these forts must be approved by Jamestown leadership directly, Barclay would have no repeat of accidental killings of the wrong Indian nations. Barclay also set aside funds so he could utilize these Indian allies, posting bounties to be paid to Indians who killed enemy Indians in the areas surrounding these forts. Why not once again let them do the dirty work? On the frontier, this was seen as more needless taxation for useless forts and limitations on the autonomy of county leaders to fight off hostile Indian attacks. These counties had asked for a commission, a declaration of war to attack natives themselves. Barclay had refused all such commission requests. Discontent is hard enough to manage, but when it forms a head, or a head directs it, rebellion is born. Nathaniel Bacon used his status as a county assemblyman to consolidate the rabble in Kent County, then Henrico County around him. He encouraged their discontent and directed it towards the natives. Within days, he had a force of 300 armed men preparing to go out against the Indians, making no distinction of different tribes. He had aroused the passions of the mob. They were after blood, and any Indian they could find would do. Barclay was surprised and concerned that this English gentleman, so new to Virginia, had chosen to involve himself into the complexity of Indian affairs, and that after his many years of successfully guiding the plantation away from war, so many Virginians had chosen to join this newcomer and enlist in Bacon's militia for a rash attack on random Indians in rebellion from their governor's orders. Barclay sent Bacon a letter warning that he was in mutiny to the lawful Jamestown Assembly. This act of forming his own militia and its declaration of war was a clear violation of the law. Bacon responded in his own letters back, insisting that he was a loyal subject of the Virginia Assembly. He was only concerning himself with channeling the people's anger and frustration towards the Indians so that it was not directed towards Jamestown's government. Seeing no chains in Bacon's actions, Barclay decided to declare Bacon and his men rebels against the Virginia Assembly. Then he assembled his own militia and several hundred men to capture Bacon. Barclay then offered up himself to the Assembly to petition King Charles II for a new governor of Virginia. This is often framed as desperation, but I myself see this as a political move. It quickly forces everyone to publicly pick sides who draw lines in the political sand, either you're with us or you're against us. The results of this public display was a clear consolidation of support around Berkeley and Jamestown. In Henrico County, the county assembly met to echo Jamestown's proclamations that Bacon and his men were in rebellion. As they began the proceedings, Bacon burst into that legislative chamber with 40 armed militiamen. Under threat of force, later that day, Bacon was elected as the Burgess, akin to the senator for that county, to be sent to represent them in the Jamestown Assembly. Bacon said he was elected by the people, but it was clearly at gunpoint. 
The next assembly in Jamestown would have to decide if Bacon was a rebel or seat him as a duly elected Burgess. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.